The Way Out Podcast, episode 358. What is your name? Oh, my real name is Alex Montanez, but professionally I go by King Roach. <laughs> I like both of the names very much. That's great. <laughs> tremendous. Absolutely <laughs> tremendous. Alex, what was your substance of choice or DOC if you had one? My DOC? Drug of choice. I would say, uh, I mean, alcohol was the one that nearly killed me, so I would say that one. <laughs> I can intimately relate with that. A number of times, alcohol nearly took me out, so I can very much identify with that, Alex. Alex, what is your clean and or sober date if you keep one? March 1st, 2022. Wow. So it's been about 16 months now. Wow. That is, yeah, well over 12 months of continuous recovery. Congratulations, brother. rough 12 months. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, we're going to talk about that. Alex, we're going to get into that. And uh, uh, that'll be a great for the main part of the interview where we uh, talk about what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. All right. Alex, how do you serve the recovery community? Well, right now, basically, when I first got sober, probably like the first six months of that process was just me dealing with everything that happened in my life when I was drunk. And I was drinking for 15 years straight. So once I started realizing how much of my story had alcohol in it, then I started putting together this blog that initially I just wanted to have something that my daughter could see. You know, if anything happened to me, she'll know what I went through. But as I'm writing it out, I realized that every story started with a drink. Right. (laughs) And it was like a, such a repetitive process that I was like, wow. So I kind of catered the entire blog to being sober and, and just the journey that took me through the 15 years of, of getting hammered every day and where I'm at now. So, you, know, you talking about that, Alex, and what you went through when you started your recovery journey and your writing journey reminds me of when I did my first step this last time around eight plus years ago now I thoroughly detailed all of the consequences of drugs and mostly alcohol for me throughout my entire active alcoholism and addiction which like you mine was two decades worth it made me sick yeah to really look at that in its full magnitude because my mind automatically forgets things and rationalizes things and minimizes things but when i really looked at the full scope and magnitude of the consequences of my drug and alcohol use, it literally made me physically ill. 
I think what's crazy about alcohol in particular was that it fuels the ego. And the ego was my other drug. So they went hand in hand. The more I drank, the more I became King Roach, quote unquote. And, you know, I just stopped believing that there was an actual person behind the persona. And it, it became a problem. It was a big problem for a long time. Like, like you said, we find ways to justify things. I justified it through my ego. Like, I have to be this way in order to be the guy in front of the camera. So for a long time, I, I felt like I, I couldn't do what I needed to do career wise unless I had alcohol in my system. Like, I, I don't like crowds. I didn't like being around a lot of people all the time. And those things I could do easy if I had, you know, three shots in my system. Man, I can relate with that. <laughs> alcohol enabled me to be the person I wanted to be on command. It unlocked things in me mm -hmm. that I couldn't unlock by myself. And I could be the life of the party. Quick. Yeah. Super quick. On command. <laughs> and, you know, for me, I live in Brooklyn. So even now, there's three bars on every block and everybody has outdoor seating. So you smell the beer as you walk in the street. Sure. And there's parts of me that I wish I could have a beer. I wish I could have a shot, but I know that I can't because it stretches far beyond just drinking. It's addiction behavior. Like, I know that I get addicted to certain things. So if it's going to be something that really screws my life up, then that's something you stay away from. 100%. At my core, I am an addict. I identify as an addict and an alcoholic because it's important for me to make that distinction that I cannot safely use drugs or alcohol and for me alcohol was ultimately my downfall alex what does recovery mean to you a chance at life like i feel like before this i was so consumed with the idea of success that Every failure that I experienced, I justified that failure through alcohol. I would drink and be like, all right, this is just another lesson learned. And now I'm just going to keep going. And, you know, they say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's what I was doing for a long time. And then the people that believed in me, my family, like everybody, you know, if if I heard so many times growing up, oh, you're going to be rich and famous. And then you start to believe that. And then when you're, you know, at the at the show and you're at the venue and you're having shots with everybody and you feel like you're on top of the mountain, then the shows stop getting booked. Then, you know, the streams stop. So the recognition, you know, it, it goes through waves. And when you reach that point at the bottom and you don't know what to do, do with yourself, the first thing you do is you grab a drink. Yeah. Be like, oh, this is just part of the life, right? No, you can't keep doing that because there's people in your life that suffer. And that's the reality of it. A lot of people in my life suffered because of alcohol. Yeah, they, they don't like that I smoke cigarettes and they don't like that I smoke weed. But alcohol directly affected everybody mm -hmm. in a really bad way. And it destroyed a lot of relationships that I had along the way. So, you know, I, I don't need to learn those lessons again. Off the top, you said a chance at life 
And I think that's a beautiful way to describe what recovery can afford us. In that, we are given an opportunity at really building a life that is worth living that doesn't include drugs and alcohol or addictive thoughts and behaviors. Yeah. When addiction becomes routine, like it, it was just part of my routine to go get a beer. It was a part of my routine to start drinking around noon. Like it, it just, the routine, once you do something so many times, you don't even think about it. And I remember I was with, uh, you know, I work with a company that manages celebrity artists, right? So on one occasion, I was at this interview with Kamani Marley, Bob Marley's son. And he said something during the interview that I carried that with me for a long time. He said, if I do today, or if I do every day what I did today, what kind of life would that build me? Mm. And I thought about that every time I drank because it's like, I'm doing this every day. What do I expect out of this? Except death, death and destruction. That, that's all I leave with alcohol. So those are the lessons that I, that I take. We are what we continually do, right? Yep, absolutely. And you very much invoke ego as part and parcel to what you are ultimately recovering from and how for you, alcohol and ego were intrinsically tied together and it was exactly the same way for me. My ego dependent on alcohol. Yeah. And and for me, my ego depended on the situations that I would put myself in because of alcohol. So because I was drinking, I'd go play a show in front of hundreds of people. Because I was drinking, I would, you know, book a venue and, and put together an event for somebody. And that, you know, working those crowds, working those rooms, I felt at home. So then, you know, now having a shot before any, you know, event, that's just what you do. That's the tradition. And I had a lot of bad traditions. <laughs> <laughs> and when alcohol is so tied into that performance, that could be a really scary and difficult thing then in recovery. You know, when I the first step to putting together the blog was because I wasn't even thinking about writing a story. I just wanted to get all the videos that I had scattered on different accounts and organize them in like chronological order. So I'm looking at all these videos and I'm reliving these shows. And, you know, there were a lot of shows where I did make an ass out of myself on stage because I was drunk. And having to deal with those, you know, memories without the crutch of alcohol to kind of numb me, that was a difficult process. And then, you know, when I reached the point in the blog where I'm writing about death, the people that I've lost, you know, in the past few years, that, you know, I described that like, you know, sitting on a therapist's couch in front of the world because everybody has access to the blog. So it's a crazy feeling to have to go through all of this. And now because of the career path that I've chosen, have to do this publicly in order to make the last, you know, 20, 30 years of my life mean something and not just get brushed under the rug, really. 
Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. And recovery affords you the opportunity to really lean into your gifts, talents, skills, and abilities in a meaningful and purposeful way in order to do good. Absolutely. And without sobriety, none of this would have been possible, honestly. And I wrote that in the preface. You know, that was one of the first things I wrote. If I didn't get sober, this blog would have never existed because I would have been so stuck in the story that I wouldn't have been able to see the entire scope of it. And it was in seeing my entire existence, you know, on screen that I'm like, wow, now things start to make sense. Hindsight is 2020. So a lot of the situations that, you know, while they were happening, felt like the world was ending. Those things ended up shaping me into the person I am today. So I can't, you know, I can't regret anything. Welcome Way Out faithful and first timers to this week's installment of the Way Out podcast. We appreciate your ears. Our mission is simple, to bring you powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics so you can jumpstart or re-energize your recovery from alcoholism and addiction. The Way Out podcast does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. The Way Out podcast is a proud supporter of Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check us out on the web at www.wayoutcast.com. There you can subscribe to ensure you get the latest episodes first on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Help us recover out loud by giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Your voice matters, so share your thoughts on recovery with us by calling us at 218-382-1960 or leaving a message with us on the Anchor app, available for Android and Apple. Someone, somewhere, needs to hear your share. Listen up, everyone. Certified and professional recovery coaching is now available by going to wayoutcast.com and then clicking on Recovery Coaching. We want to help you and those you know who want help in building a strong, rewarding, and enduring recovery. Let our recovery experience and training enhance and strengthen your recovery by visiting wayoutcast.com and then clicking on Recovery Coaching. Finally, a word of caution, this podcast may contain strong language and mature content. Listener discretion is advised. The Way Out podcast is on right now. I'm Charlie, and in this rendition of The Way Out, I'm extremely excited to bring you my interview with person in long-term recovery and producer and founder of Global Domination Productions, Alex Kingroach Montanez. Alex has been recovering out loud with his blog, Dominate the Globe, since his recovery began over a year ago. And now he's recovering out loud with us by sharing his journey to and through recovery to this point with us in a distinctly frank and compelling manner. And in a way that brings in stark relief hallmarks of addiction and alcoholism 
that are worth highlighting. Of particular import is the common feature of active addiction that can be described as bargaining with ourselves, which we've discussed more than a time or two on this podcast. This is the act of restricting or changing the amount, frequency, type, environment, or manner of the problematic substance or behavior, which, and this is key, invariably fails. As important to understand is that we don't have to do this with other things we like, but don't have a problem with. It's the difference between liking strawberries and being addicted to alcohol. As instructive in Alex's story is the manifestation of his ego and how inextricably linked it was to his alcoholism. As he describes it, and so many of us can relate, alcohol was the key ingredient in perpetuating the persona he felt he needed to maintain, and without it, he was not able to be the person he wanted to be. And alcohol, at the same time, was destroying Alex and everything he held dear, which led to a crisis that ultimately produced perhaps an unlikely and most definitely an inspiring recovery. An imperfect recovery that's a work in progress, but one that is proof positive that recovery is well worth every bit of effort we put in. And this phenomenal interview is worth every minute of your time. So do be sure you listen up. Alex King wrote Montanez. Thank you so much, brother, for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us here on the way out podcast you are a person in long-term recovery you are a producer and indeed the founder of global domination productions and you're here with us to share your journey to and through recovery to this point we're going to talk all about your journey to recovery and what it's enabled you to do today before we get into any of that why don't you take a moment to introduce yourself to the Way Out podcast audience. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and we'll get started. First, I got to say, you have one of the best radio voices <laughs> that I've heard in a long time. <laughs> Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. I've been doing radio since 2012, and you, you got one of the top voices that I've heard. So uh, my name is Alex King Roach Montanez. Um, I'm from Bushwick, Brooklyn, you know, uh, born and raised when you're in that neighborhood, you're surrounded by a lot of stories about success and people that have made it. You know, they even have a mural a few blocks away from the house that had all these entertainers that came from uh, from Bushwick. So I always aspired for that. And growing up in the church, you know, I was kind of taught the opposite. They said they almost make you do like a, a vow of poverty. So breaking out of that system took me over 20 years it wasn't until my 20s that I left the church but that feeling of being invisible in that crowd for so long the minute I started performing music publicly that became my drug and along with that drug came the other drugs <laughs> so once I started playing shows then it was just you know off to the races every bar I went to I had to you know max out a credit card I had to get shots for everybody and then when you start getting into that process, when, when it's so intertwined with your creative process mm -hmm. and you're trying to be a creator, then you just find reasons to drink. You, you find reasons to get fucked up. And for a long time, that was my problem. 
And I'm solving that problem now every day. I take it one day at a time. <laughs> oh, man, I could relate with that. And tell me a little bit about what then it was like for you growing up. You said that you grew up in the church and in Brooklyn. What was family life like and what was it like being in the church, especially one that really centered this extreme humility, it sounded like. Yeah, I mean, I was raised Jehovah's Witness. Okay. So when you're in that community, I do give them respect where respect is due. They're very tight-knit. Yeah. Very organized. So just growing up, I would do stupid things. I would always get in trouble for not following the rules. Sure. And that folder got bigger and bigger over the years. <laughs> and everywhere I went, that folder went. So you can't escape the system once you're in the system. But it wasn't until the end when I actually started. I, I remember I was there one day. And at the end, after they did the prayer, stupidly, I start, you know, promoting one of my gigs that I had coming up. And I'm just there telling, the, you know, the friends. I'm like, yo, you want to come see me play? And everybody had an issue with that because... That was an entrance into the devil's world. Sure. And, you know, even looking back at it now, they were kind of right. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't totally wrong. Like, they weren't totally wrong. <laughs> but, uh, you know, once I started really taking that path seriously, like, just I, I lived and breathed the idea of being rich and famous, then things just got real dark real fast and for a long time i i didn't know you know that there were things that i would do that i felt i was supposed to do and in hindsight those were just completely stupid choices that were all the direct effect of alcohol <laughs> so you don't give yourself enough time in between drinks you know you just live in a constant state of of being inebriated yeah and it it, it turns your life upside down and it sounds like it was so tied into you being a performer and a creator that you felt like you needed it. Is that a fair characterization or at least were afraid that you weren't going to be able to be the same creator without it? When I first started, it was YouTube videos in my mom's apartment, you know, sure. in the bedroom. That was a humble experience. That was my first views. Then when you start booking the gigs, it just, it got to a point where even before I got to the venue, I was already hammered because the pregame. Yeah. And then, you know, you start thinking two days ahead. All right, I got a show coming up. Let me loosen myself up now. So I'll drink a bottle of Hennessy at home. And it, it was just so much, I need to be this person. I'm not right. anybody without being this person. Right. And it was a lie. And I right. couldn't see that. Right. So it, it, it kills me to even talk, to talk about this publicly now because I'm still dealing with that. Yeah. I'm still dealing with the effects of having been that person for so long or convincing myself that I was that person for so long that I have this huge trail of bullshit that happened to me because I was trying to be this person. 
this character that I created. And I, I would see clips of like Jim Carrey say, you know, depression is your body saying that they don't want to play the character that you're trying to play anymore. Sure. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize any of this until I got sober. First, I couldn't get sober without the, the quit drinking app. So I, I have to shout them out. When I first downloaded that app, I tried a few times. I kept failing. I was just like, it's never going to happen. But then that last night that, you know, the blow up argument at home and, and, and things are falling apart and I got suicidal. It's like I, I felt like a failure. Like I, I spent my entire life trying to be this thing that I just realized I'm not. What the hell am I supposed to do now? Which direction do I go now? Do I keep trying to go the direction that person was going? Or do I accept where I am and, and try to like create a new path? I'm never going to be a, a movie star. Like I, I'm never going to be top 100 billboard. And I've accepted those things. My beard is already getting gray. Like I, my priority is my family right now. So the, the constant battle of that ego still in the back of my mind telling me, yo, you, you should have, you should have did this. You should have did that. Mm-hmm. It's like, bro, I didn't, I didn't. And when I tried to do it, I fucked it up. It's right there in black and white. <laughs> So it's just dealing with that, that, you know, it makes me emotional every time I talk about this, but it was, uh, it was not so much the creative process of creating art. It was the creative process of creating me, creating yeah. that persona. Yeah. I, I needed to be King Roach. And that was the quickest way to King Roach. That was the guy who didn't fear anything and he'll go on stage and he'll say anything and he'll offend anybody. And he didn't give a fuck. So that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, Alex, man, that's real. And I think so many listening to this right now can identify with that, me included. And it reminds me very much, man, of my active alcoholism and addiction and living that Jekyll and Hyde life for so long and needing to keep up a persona so that you would like me. I told my wife, you know, I said, I'm a brilliant marketing campaign. This was when I first got sober and I started realizing everything. Because I was saying, you know, I know how to do graphics. I know how to do videos. I've been paid for a long time to make things look pretty and professional and i've done that with my life <laughs> yeah so you know for a long time you know the the person you see on instagram or on facebook that was curated content like i sat there and i thought about that i thought about the frame to share and the caption to write because i wanted to create the persona and I find myself like, I think they call it doom scrolling, like just really flicking upside down, not knowing what it is that I'm searching for. And I feel like when I was drinking, I didn't do that as much because my only focus was me. Right. I was, it was all about me. I was the center of the universe. Now I'm hyper aware of everything. Everything gives me anxiety and I don't have coping mechanisms for that that's why I'm, I'm always going outside for a cigarette like so i have other addictions that i still have to get over but you know the alcohol one played a direct part in creating the person that you know 
dropped a, a grenade in my life. And it's a process. And it certainly has been for me. I had to be abstinent first from drugs and alcohol. And then when it was time to give up nicotine, I knew. And I did. When it was time to give up other things, I knew and I did. And look, there's still things that I know that I'm going to need to let go at some point. And I know I'm in that contemplation or pre-contemplation stage of change on them. So it's a process. We're not rendered pure as the driven snow the minute we put down the drink or the drug. And nature abhors a vacuum. So if we remove a giant addiction, other addictions are likely going to want to fill that void. That's why for me it was so important to be able to put constructive activities in my days. We talked about at the top, we are what we continually do. So I try very hard and very mindfully to fill my days with constructive activities. Less time for destructive <laughs> activities, Alex. And that's the reality for me. Yep. This probably brings you back to your youth, but idle hands are the devil's playpen, right? Boredom is not good for a guy like me. It just isn't. Right? I just told my brother recently, the devil makes use of idle time. So <laughs> stay busy. Yes. Yes. And if I could do that with constructive, positive activities, then that's the kind of life I'm building. Mm -hmm. And you talking about this essentially alter ego that you built and then became dependent on as much as you were dependent on alcohol. You were dependent on this alter ego. Reminds me of me and my active addiction. I thought often, man, this thought would come up in my head. If you knew what I was really like, <laughs> you wouldn't want to be around me. You wouldn't want to have anything to do with me. If you knew the real me, you know? You know, there's a song that I, one of the records that I put out uh, that was about alcohol was called Alcohol. And I put it out in 2015. And one of the lines off of the song is, uh, if you knew the shit I knew, you probably grabbed the bottle too and chug it. And the other line was, uh, if you knew what I could do, you probably turn that ass around and start running. <laughs> 100%. A hundred percent. And that's the other thought. If you were me, you'd drink too. Huh? Okay. It was it, uh that's the thing. Like if you <laughs> if you knew what it was like to be in my head and in my body, you'd freaking drink too, okay? That's why I, I say one day at a time. You know, I'd never say that I'm never gonna drink again. Yeah. I can't. Because every time I've said that before, I fucked it up. Yeah. So I just say, I'm not drinking today. And I just keep saying that every day. And it, <laughs> Man, it, it that's a, that's it that is a recipe for long-term meaningful sobriety one day at a time. And like you, like when I finally surrendered this last time around, and I had multiple attempts, but this last time around, eight plus years ago, when I finally surrendered to 
my alcoholism and addiction completely. It was less about not drinking. I just wanted to get better, man. I wanted to get better. I didn't ever want to feel like I felt going into treatment eight plus years ago. And if that meant not drinking or using one day at a time, okay, I'll do that. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm game for that. I don't want to think about not doing it for the rest of my life. Like that's, that's too big. But if you're saying that in order to get better, I need to not drink or use drugs one day at a time, then I'm willing to do that. And it's been working for me ever since. I feel like, you know, you kind of jinx yourself when you, when you say words like never again and, you know, totally. I have such a long track record of that. And my family, just, they, got, they got tired of hearing that shit. Yeah. It's like you, yeah. you keep telling the people you love, I'm not going to drink. And everybody's just like, dude, you said that three times last week. Right. There were times right. that I put myself on plans. There was this one that I called the W plan. And I told my wife, I convinced her to let me drink on the weekends and on Wednesdays. It was the W plan. <laughs> the W plan. And I couldn't even last those two day breaks in between. Like, you know, I would go outside and just chug a tall can while smoking a cigarette and running back upstairs like she can't smell it. So, you know, the blog, I detail a lot of this stuff, which I'm surprised I was even able to remember all of this stuff when I was putting this together because it gets pretty detailed. But there's certain stories that I left out of the blog because they just got too dark and I I don't want my daughter to read that. Yeah, yeah. It reminds me, Alex, that I know I have a problem with alcohol, drugs, and other addictive behaviors. And one of the main reasons I know is because I got to do a mental mind fuck around them all the time if I'm going to engage in them. Well... I'll only drink on Wednesdays and weekends, or I won't drink hard liquor, or I'll only have five, or... Yep. Okay. People that aren't alcoholics don't do that, Alex. They don't do that. You want to know why? Because they're not alcoholics. I don't do that with bananas. (laughs) And I like bananas. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, I like them. (laughs) One of my favorite fruits is bananas, okay? And I don't make fucking bargains with myself (laughs) about them. Like, I'm only going to have them on Wednesdays and weekends. You want to know why? Because I don't have a problem with bananas, right? That's so So, true. (laughs) Anytime I know that I start bargaining with myself about something, then I know it's a problem. And you always manage to lose the bargain. Yes, you never win that bargain. No. <laughs> no, you don't. Damn it, it's Tuesday and I'm having a banana. Shit, you know, like, right? That's the thing. And ultimately, that, and it, the big book talks about that a lot in terms of trying to manage it, manage my mm-hmm. use. And anytime I tried to manage my drinking or manage my use, it never, ever was sustainable, ever. I, you know, I didn't think that I could ever stop. And I felt that way because everything that I saw around me revolved around that. Mm-hmm. It was like ever, ever since I got sober, I haven't seen a lot of my friends. Yeah. 
And it's not because I don't love them. It's just I can't go to the bar no more. I can't 100%. chill on the stoop no more. Like, I, I can't do those things. So that's been another layer of, like, you know, just internal acceptance that I have to deal with. Yeah. The new reality. Yeah. That I, you know, there's just certain things I'm never going to be able to experience again. And I'm, I'm dealing with that by fill, filling up my time with other things like creative stuff, the blog and, you know, the VR experiences that I have. All these things, they take up my time so that I'm not doing the fuckery. Yeah, look, uh, the friends and the, the co-host of this podcast, Jason, talks about that a lot in his early recovery and previous attempts at his recovery that. He felt real guilty ditching, giving up his friends. And the reality for him was he learned that he can love them from afar and know that it's okay to begin this recovery and start building a new life and also you got no hard feelings with these friends. Like, ain't got nothing against you. Um, but it's not healthy for me to be around you on the daily right now. Right. And, you know, one of the things that they say in 12 step recovery a lot is you only have to change one thing and that's everything. <laughs> <laughs> and the friends are a part of that often. Yeah. And I mean, in the beginning, I was just like, all right. I won't chill. I'm not going to chill. But then it got to the point where I can't chill. I, I can't go there. And they don't treat me any differently because of it. So I have like multiple group chats with different sectors of friends. You know, we'll talk only sports over here, only politics over here. You know, everybody yeah. has a, a certain group chat. <laughs> yeah. So I speak to them every day. But, you know, I haven't seen them in years. <laughs> So it's 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 a weird dynamic to have, but I know that they're close because we all live within close proximity. But we just can't we can't chill the same way we used to. And I don't know how to chill yet without that. I haven't learned that yet. I'm still, you know, it's long term recovery, but it's still short term recovery. I'm only 16 months. So the way I look at it, I still have a lot to learn before I'm comfortable going out into that world again and not fucking it up yeah for sure alex alex talk about that moment you talked about it briefly where you finally made the decision to do something different and enter recovery 16 months ago what was that moment of reckoning like for you i'd argue to say that it was it was i'd say months long <laughs> that just led up to one night Sure. So, you know, I, I spent my entire 20s and 30s in pursuit of fame, you know, industry stuff, however I can do it, whether it's movies or music, whatever. And because I was so closely knit with, you know, bars and venues, because I, I ran a lot of festivals, I, I ran a lot of events, too. So I would get in with the owners and build private relationships with these people. So I could pretty much drink whatever I want, whenever I want, anywhere I want. And in all of that time, there was someone that lived close to me. Well, we grew up in the same neighborhood, but he was like a, a neighbor of mine when I was a kid that he became a Hollywood star. <laughs> 
And when he became a Hollywood star, that kind of like made me look in the mirror and say, holy shit, you, you really blew it. Mm. And that started a really long binge. Mm. So and, and that happened that day. I was watching a movie with my daughter. It was a cartoon and his name popped up on, on the screen. And I knew he was an actor, but I didn't know he had made it. Yeah. And then when when I saw that, it was just a meltdown. Like I'm, I just found reasons to drink every day, all day. Yeah. And it got to a point where my wife, you know, obviously nobody's going to be happy being around that shit. Right. When she, that final night, when it, things just, you know, kind of hit the wall, I looked at her. I, I, it was such a pathetic moment. I, I can't begin to even try to remember what I was feeling like. But I remember saying, I can't stop drinking. And she told me a bunch of things about me. <laughs> And I couldn't argue any of those things. And that killed me. Mm. Like, I, I felt like even though it was her and she's been with me for 11 years. Hearing those things come from anyone and not being able to say that's bullshit. That was the knife in my back. Because I had to walk in the street and realize, you know, everything they're saying about me right now is true. And I don't think anyone believed that I would stop drinking. I truly believe that. I, I thought everyone had just given up already. Because mm. I had tried so many times before. And then because I'm a public figure, I would put myself out there on social media while I'm fucked up. So I would say I'm not going to do this. And then two days later, you see me with a drink on live, dancing like an idiot. So everyone just lost faith in me. And, and I lost faith in me at that moment. And I never wanted to experience that again. So that was uh, February 28th, the day before March 1st. I don't even know if that was a leap year or not. But the morning of March 1st, when I woke up, I just said, I'm not going to drink today. And then the next day, I did the same thing. And because you know I had my daughter, I didn't go to a traditional rehab. I didn't go to traditional AA meetings. I downloaded the app, and I just suffered here. So, you know, the first two weeks I was dealing with all the physical effects of not drinking. Yeah. Then came the psychological stuff. And it, it got to a point that I realized I'm remembering things that, you know, I haven't spoken about in years. Let me start documenting this stuff. And eventually, as I start writing this story out, it was clear as day. It was like, if I ever have another drink, I'm going to throw everything that I have now away mm. because everything that I have now is only because I stopped drinking that day. If I would have drank the next day, I would have fucked up. It, it had reached that point. That was the edge of the cliff. One more day would have killed me. And that's how I felt that night. I felt like I was dying. Like I wanted to die. I wasn't courageous enough to even try to harm myself so it was just like this pathetic walk in the street not knowing where to go don't know what to do with yourself you have all the smarts and talent to do amazing things but you can't do the simplest thing as to stop fucking drinking and to me that was the the fork in the road that was the fork in the road for me alex 
as you related this moment of reckoning that was a long time in the making and the veil of I'm not an alcoholic has been irrevocably pierced and that awful feeling that so many of us can identify with of shame and of complete demoralization something beautiful began to spring out of that complete and utter defeat for you. Absolutely. And I can very much relate to that because my own moment of reckoning wasn't too dissimilar in that I'm on the back end of a third failed marriage. My wife at the time looks at me and is like, Charlie, you drink every day. And like, I didn't like to keep super long-term relationships just because, you know, the gig got up pretty quick about <laughs> my alcohol use. I'm like, yeah, baby. Fine. It's not a problem. I only have a few. Now she's counting and the problem with trying to outsmart somebody that's A, already smarter than you, and B, not drunk, because it don't work very well, okay? Mm. She's like, you drink way more than a few, Charlie. I think you have a problem. I'm like, I can quit anytime I want. Oh. She's like, sweet, do it. I'm like, you know what? I should have <laughs> seen that coming. Should have probably seen that coming. So I quit for 30 days on Marlboros and resentments, which I don't recommend. And convinced her that. Yeah, see, ta-da! not an alcoholic. Told you. And it was my son's birthday and. Thanksgiving, and it fell out the same day that year. And I said, I think we should get some alcohol. We're going to have my parents over Thanksgiving. Oldest child's birthday. I'll get it. I got enough booze to get an army drunk. And I didn't like to put myself in this position ever because I knew myself just well enough to know, man, like I can't predict if I can stop ever. I knew everything was riding on this. I could not get drunk. And of course, what happens? I start drinking. I can't stop. And like you said, like I can't stop and it's this out of body fucking experience I can't fucking stop myself I'm drinking half drank wine that's not mine I get fucking annihilated and I didn't want to and I make an ass out of myself and I almost cut my hand off carving the turkey and my folks leave and Wife at the time looked at me and said, what is wrong with you? And 
she wasn't trying to be mean. She really wanted to know, like, what is wrong with you? And my oldest child looks at her and looks at me and says, what do you mean? It's just dad. He's just drunk again. Mm. And that's that veil that got pierced. Like, I ain't fooling anybody. Like, I ain't fooling anybody. The only one that hasn't really come to terms with my alcoholism is me. Right? And that's a shitty feeling. But out of that sprung something really beautiful. I didn't ever want to feel that way again. And she's like, you got to go to treatment. I did. And I got completely honest for the first time in my entire life about this full scope and magnitude of my addiction and alcoholism. And then did that super thorough first step, which sounds very much like your writing process in terms of just really, this is it. I'm getting really honest and really transparent and vulnerable and authentic about what it was really like. And when I, the first few posts, once I started writing, I had no idea how detailed I was going to be. That wasn't even a thought to like, you know, reach people's hearts or anything like that. I was just trying to document what happened. Yeah. <laughs> and th- then I realized, like, you know, people are reading this and they're being affected by it. So might as well just keep going deeper. And once I started doing that, then, you know, I've, I've told things on the blog that I haven't said publicly to people. So I'm just, you know, just to give you a frame of reference, there's stories that I've never spoken to anyone about that are on the blog. So I'm just pouring myself out and, you know, hoping that it affects someone in a positive way along the way. And that's beautiful because people respond to that level of authenticity and vulnerability and honesty. And it gives others permission, Alex, to also be honest, authentic, and vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Because it's hard. And when you do that, you're consistently giving people the permission to do that themselves. And that, my friend, is beautiful. That's why every day I wake up and the first thing on my to-do list is to set my posts to go out at noon Eastern time every day. And there's days that it's boring and there's days that it's not. Yeah. And that's just life now. So it's just a part of my life. So I'm enjoying it. That's great. And that's a beautiful manifestation of your recovery. Alex, tell me. What else has enabled your recovery thus far, 16 months in? My daughter. I feel like when she was born, I was in a race against time because I knew that she wasn't old enough to realize that I was drunk. And when she started being able to talk, then she starts noticing things. So it was like that moment that night that everything, you know, hit the wall. She was already so clear minded as to what I was doing that I realized I couldn't, 
you know, I, I can't keep going forward and expecting her to live the life that I want for her if I'm not living the life I want for me. So I, I just look at her every day and, you know, she's another reason when I'm when I'm really hitting a wall and I'm, I'm down on everything and there's just a black cloud over me. She'll do something or say something that just lifts me. And that puts me in a better headspace to keep going. Alex, tell me about Dominate the Globe and what you're doing with Dominate the Globe. There's just a tremendous amount of content that you've put out there from a blog <laughs> perspective, which is amazing. And I can relate to that very much. We've got over 350 episodes of the Way Out podcast, and it's something I'm deeply committed to. And every <laughs> week we put out a new episode sharing powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics because I know it helps others. And I absolutely know it helps me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, first and foremost, Dominate the Globe is my therapy. <laughs> Yeah, it's like without that, I, I just I bottle everything inside that helps me, you know, keep pace on what I'm doing. But essentially, it's a diary. It's a digital diary. For as long as I can remember, I've always documented everything. I always had a camera on myself and. You know, individually, these videos might not mean much to people, but when I put them all together and then write the story of what was happening in my life at each of those points, then it paints the bigger picture. Now you see the guy going from being shy in the church to, you know, playing guitar in his bedroom to being on stage to, you know, now I'm drinking beers in front of everybody like I'm Stone Cold Steve Austin. So it, you see the, the descent into madness almost. And you see when I hit rock bottom. I mean, it's, it's pretty as much as I could possibly fit into the story. I, I've, I've done that. So, yeah, we have over 900 posts that's how i launched it was over 900 posts um probably about 400,000 words right now written and as part of that because you know back in the day i used to get all these different venues and i used to host all these different events i kind of lost my ability to be in front of a crowd for the most part or be in a crowd i could still be on stage i just can't be off stage with a bunch of people around me yeah it's a weird feeling so i created gdp tv which is essentially a, it's curation. So I use virtual reality experiences in different niche markets to curate new videos every week. So we have Sunday night screenings. That's uh, short films every Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern time. We have Slam Global. That's for indie wrestling. I'm a big wrestling guy. You know, I make a lot of wrestling references in the blog, too. And for one of my homegirls that passed away that, you know, I wrote about her in the story, we have. She Loves Battle Rap, which is basically dedicated to hip-hop culture. And, you know, the, the top floor is a, is a basic, like, it's just this huge place that's in memory of her. Mm. And it, it features all of her episodes of the show that she was, you know, um, doing when she was alive. And galleries of all the photos that she's taken. I tried to do my best to keep her memory alive. So, And all the... Uh, all the merchandise sales from She Loves Battle Rap goes to the American Cancer Association. I should add that. That's beautiful. That's a cause near and dear to my own heart 
as well, my friend. So that's absolutely beautiful. Alex, we have some closing questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. What does your daily or regular recovery routine consist of? Oof. Wake up. Well, now it's different because my daughter's out of school, summer vacation. Yeah. But my normal day would be wake up, get my daughter ready for school, have my coffee, go out for a cigarette, come back in and start work. I put meditation music on in the background for nine hours straight. (laughs) And I'll work through the entire process. Like to me, that... It's a particular video, too. It's called six, uh, 369 Code by Nikolai, Nikolai Tesla. And it's just this humming noise, vibrations in the back. And it, it, I feel like my thoughts are like sand on top of a speaker. And when they hit a certain frequency, everything just aligns. So I just have that stuff pumping in my headphones all day long. And I just get as much work as I possibly could get done. That's, that's multiple computer screens. That's how I live. <laughs> The, the idea that you're actually meditating while you're working is actually really cool in that there's a lot of ways to meditate and there's a lot of ways to be able to get to that place where you're essentially in that flow state. Mm-hmm. And there's real science around not just music, but sounds, vibrations, tones that physiologically have a profound effect on our minds and bodies. It's like healing. Yeah. And it's crazy because I would listen to it all day. Before, I used to have different shows that I would just have in the background. Kitchen Nightmares, To Catch a Predator, all my old favorite shows. And I've watched them so many times that I didn't even need to see the screen anymore. I just could visualize the episode while the audio is playing in the back. And I realized that by doing that, there's a part of my consciousness that's just solely there to be distracted. And if I don't distract that, then maybe there's something there. So once I started doing the meditation music while I work, the work now, it it almost feels cinematic. It feels like I'm astral projecting out of my body and seeing the story of this guy in front of the computer who's trying to do something and you know there's there's hiccups along the way and he can't get the code to work or whatever it is and i'm watching this movie happen from the outside and then the guy figures it out and he does the thing and i I see his hands go up in the air and i'm like holy shit that's me and then i'm like back in my body it's weird it's weird to explain it but it, it feels like a movie almost when I have uh, meditation music on. That's a total trip and I love it. (laughs) Alex, what book or piece of recovery literature or quitlet as the cool kids call it had the biggest impact on your recovery? I gotta be honest. I didn't even start reading until I started writing. (laughs) So I didn't, there was no book that I read Because even like with religion, the way that religion was handled when I was a kid made me stop believing in God for a long time. Yeah. So it was always literature, literature. And then I did psychedelics and then I saw God. (laughs) I was like, (laughs) holy shit, this is real. So 
I'm just somebody I got to I got to see it happen. So I would say the piece of literature that affected me the most is the one that I'm writing. Dominate the globe. I love it. And the writing process is extremely therapeutic in and of itself and can be instrumental in our recovery. So I highly recommend it. I've integrated daily journaling into my own recovery, and that's relatively new in my recovery practice. And it's been a game changer for me. It's been really, really helpful. It is. And I remember my earliest memories, my mom had this journal next to her bed that she would wake up and write her dreams. And I'm a person that I dream every single night Wow! for hours and hours. And after getting sober, the dreams just got more real. And, you know, yeah. it got to the point where I feel like I can control myself in dreams sometimes. So I'm aware that I'm dreaming. So I, I guess that's why it's difficult for me to distinguish reality and dream world sometimes. Right. So I, th- I think I can achieve anything and, you know, right. then reality hits sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's, it's all intertwined. Lucid dreaming is definitely a thing and something I've experienced only a few precious times in my own life. I'm a guy that doesn't remember his dreams very often. And when I do, they never make sense. (laughs) After my dad passed in 2020, um, I had a dream and he was just it was a recurring dream. It would happen at least four or five times before it stopped. And it was him just pointing down to this beam of light that he wanted me to crawl through. And I remember I I got on my knees and I start crawling through the light. And when I get to the other side, it's the same exact world, except I can see the controllers, like the control systems, like the Windows BIOS. And I just see all of these different numbers and frequencies. And I'm like, holy shit, this there's a there's a good chance that, you know, he's not actually dead. Yeah, (laughs) he's just somewhere else. And he's yeah. Me know, so. Yeah. No, I believe that, man. I believe that. That hundred percent. Alex, what is the best piece of advice you've received in recovery thus far? Mm. Stop getting in your own way. <laughs> I love that. That's the one that I've heard that affected me the most, because I would constantly have all of these brilliant ideas, quote unquote. And then sabotage them just through alcoholism. Yeah. So I've thrown away a lot of good things because I couldn't stop drinking. And there's so much truth to that in terms of active alcoholism and addiction. And then also as we enter recovery, that is super applicable for a lot of other things too: counterproductive thought and behavior patterns. Yeah, if you hang around a bar, you're you're bound to have a sip. So just stay away from the shit. Stay away. I stay as far away as possible. Even in the I remember when I first stopped buying beer every day because I would buy two six packs a day. And the the guys in the corner store, they would always refer to me as my friend. Yeah. (laughs) Then that stopped. It was like I stopped buying the beer is no more friend. I'm like, all right, I get it. No, I understand. I'm yeah. a friend when I'm spending $50 a day on, on alcohol. That's it. And That's then it. in my neighborhood now, they're selling shots at the deli, like these shot bottles for a dollar of Fireball. So in every deli you go into, they have alcohol there for purchase, just a dollar. 
And I see people buying them. I used to buy them all the time. I used to buy yeah. them a fucking dozen. Yeah. So there's always temptation out there. Just stay away from it. No doubt about it. And stop getting in your own way is so applicable in terms of what we're trying to do on a daily basis in recovery. Yeah. You got to take it. As soon as I wake up, I look at every day like a movie. I keep making movie references because that's what I had as a kid. I had movies. I had TV. So if every day is a movie, every day has to end with resolution. So regardless of whatever it is you're dealing with, you have to resolve it by the end of the day. And if you can't resolve it, you have to resolve how you feel about it. Yeah. So those are the steps. That's what I have to deal with. That's what most people have to deal with. And we can't shy away from it. Alex, what is the greatest challenge you've had in recovery thus far? The simple things, just being able to chill out without like getting almost the shakes. Yeah. Cause I, I would, I always had a beer in my hand and when you don't have that, now I'm drinking, you know, five Dr. Peppers. <laughs> so it's like I, I, that addictive personality, it keeps affecting me in different ways, but, uh, it's just, it's difficult just to try to remember what it was like to be normal because I was 20 years old when I was sober. Once I hit 21, it was up until now, and I'm 37. So I don't even remember what I was like at that age. So it was I'm relearning how to be an adult without having a drink. That's real. That's the day-to-day and being able to get through seemingly innocuous moments where either an urge comes up or anxiety comes up. And for me, I used drugs and alcohol, primarily alcohol, to change my feelings. Mm-hmm. And to change who I was. And so then, in sobriety... On a random Tuesday, if I'm feeling anxious or restless or irritable, I used to medicate that. I used to pour alcohol on it. Mm -hmm. What do I do now? And that is a very real struggle, especially in the beginning. But it doesn't really ever totally go away. And it's about, for me anyhow, identifying whatever it is that is causing the discomfort. Maybe it's an uncomfortable or overwhelming feeling. And that could be boredom. Like, that's overwhelming for me sometimes, right? So, like, whatever it is, recognizing that, giving myself some compassion over it. Like, yeah, no, it's okay. Like, it's hard to be bored. What do I do next? And then, what's the next right thing I can do? And that is progress, not perfection. I don't always do the next right thing. 
mm-hmm. a lot more today than I used to. But man, I don't always do the next right thing. And sometimes I eat a bag of chips instead of like, you know, going to uh, a 12 step meeting. Sometimes, you know, I uh, veg out on video games when I really could be, you know, doing something more positive, whatever it is. But but that is the progress, not perfection part for me, for sure. And as long as there's progress, then things are looking perfect. Yeah, because that's the perfection aspect of it. You got to perfect the fact that every day needs to be progress. And if you can do that on a daily basis, you're going to build the life you want. That's it. We are what we continually do. Exactly. Alex, what's your greatest success in recovery thus far? Honestly, uh, I'll say making my mom proud. That mm. She's rarely said that to me. <laughs> Because I rarely gave her reason to like, sure. I, I I would be, I would sing Spanish music like we're Puerto Rican, so I would sing like old salsa songs, and she'll say she's happy about those things, and you know she's proud that I can sing, but then she'll see me drunk, and it's like everything's out the window. Yeah. So every time I speak to her now, she's constantly reminding me like, you know, I'm really proud that you stopped and you stayed there because now the rest of my family sees that and they, there's hope. You know, there's hope. So that's beautiful. And all this time chasing this other success and what you view as your greatest success is making mom proud. Yeah. That's what it's about, right? That's beautiful. That's what it's about. The next one's a doozy, and then we end with a fun one. All right. <laughs> What is something you haven't forgiven yourself or someone else for? Oof. Oh, man. There's. I, I guess. I, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about this. Um, there was a point in my life where. I was so at the bottom mentally. And I was dealing with a lot of spiritual stuff too, because I came from the church, so everything was a sign and- Yeah. You know, you, you, you wake up every day waiting for Armageddon. And one day I, uh, I wrote a contract on a piece of paper and I, I signed my name in blood and then I burned it. And from that day forward, a lot of things happened to me because that moment was real in my mind. And I put myself there. And I've always wondered if I could take that back, would I take that back? And of course, <laughs> but you can't take that back. Right. Whether it was real or not, you know, it's done and the psychological aspect of it made me put myself in a lot of positions because of that night. And I I feel like in many ways it fueled the character that I created, but it destroyed my personal life. And I don't think that that was a, a even exchange. The feeling of regret 
is so real there and having to come to terms with something of that magnitude that had that kind of effect. We talked about things being resolved and not resolved and being such a fan of stories in the film and TV medium where everything seems to get resolved in a nice little package. And life isn't always like that. Mm-mm. It's messy and unresolved. And coming to terms with and accepting that as a reality and as you said, if it can't be resolved, then I have to come to terms with that fact, right? And how you feel. Yeah. Yeah. Because the fact remains, what happened that night happened, but then there's days that it means nothing and there's days that it means everything. Yeah. And I have to deal with both of those moments now with a sober mind. Yeah. When you're drinking, you don't give a fuck. It's just like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) <laughs> but when you're sober and you're just looking around and you see everything happening in the world right now you know shit is getting scary and I'm just like wow what the hell did I do with my life so it's, it's crazy indeed here's the fun one what song symbolizes recovery to you Alex mm. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to say my record, the one because I when I initially wrote this record, it's called Alcohol, and I'll send you a link too. Please. When I initially wrote this record, I played it for years. You know, people always requested it at the venues, but when I got in the industry, my house burned down. And the week after it burned down, I broke into the house with my homegirl that passed away and we shot the music video for alcohol. And it was almost like me describing the fact that I knew I needed to stop drinking, but I couldn't stop drinking. And I was questioning myself in the song. And when I released that record for the first time, that was my first time on FN radio. Like, you know, I was being seen and heard and i remember i approached the sobriety community about the record and i reached out to a couple of aa groups and i felt so stupid because while i'm sending out these emails i had a glass of uh, vodka next to me and i'm just like i'm what am i doing pushing a record like this is a real fucking thing that people deal with and this was 2015 so i wasn't ready to you know, really understand what my alcoholism was. Yeah, I was still in the in the midst of it. And looking back at that, I, I just felt like that was such a stupid and selfish move. And um, but the record now has a completely different meaning to me. Now, when I when I listen to that record, I, I think about the fact that I did do in the what what I said I was going to do in the song, which is ultimately give it up. I put the bottle down. So the the whole put the bottle down tour, put the bottle down is one of the lyrics from the song. So Mm. everything kind of derived from that song. That's absolutely tremendous. Check the show notes right now for a handy link to Alcohol by King Roach. 
a.k.a. Alex Montanez. You'll also find his best piece of recovery advice as well as handy links to dominate the globe. Alex, brother, thank you so much for taking time to share your journey to and through recovery to this point. It's been an absolutely tremendous discussion, and I couldn't be more grateful for it. Thank you, brother, and thank you for the invite. You know, everything at dominatetheglobe.com. And I hope to be back, man. We got to do this again. I would love that, Alex. And thank you, everybody out there in Way Out Podcast land for your ears. We will talk to you next time. Thank you for being a part of The Way Out. We appreciate your ears. We're sharing powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics every week. So keep listening up. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast, all one word, dot com. There you can subscribe to the Way Out podcast on all of the major podcast aggregators, such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, Overcast, and more. Or simply drop your hosts a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact us at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time. And remember, if you don't change, your sobriety date will.